also just want to make sure that you're aware uh, we're getting very close to being able to put out the entire study of the Epistle of Hebrews. So that will be available out at the Information Center within the next week or two. And, uh, you know, they're basically free. If you want to give us a donation towards printing costs, obviously we're not going to add that. But uh, we're not out to charge to make money on any of this. We just want you to be able to enjoy it. Why? Because I know that I've probably got a ton of crap in this thing somewhere. So that's the reason. It's not. It's 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 just basically the entire teaching that we've shared together. So we have all of those sessions that are there. All right. I'm sure there's other things that I'm forgetting, but you know what? It's okay. How many know we're allowed to forget? Who are you? Just that's it. Want to uh, do a little study tonight on something. It's the book of Ruth, and it's the journey that she goes through. But she doesn't go through the journey alone, obviously. It's really more of a take on Naomi and Ruth themselves. And so I'm going to cover a few bases here, but we're going to we're going to travel through a, a, you know a good part of the of the book itself. And we're going to spend time looking at some scripture primarily just within the first chapter that sets it up. But we'll talk about the rest of it as we walk through it. And I hope, I hope you're able to grab some things, some understanding. Because, you know, how many know that all these different stories that started out once upon a time? Once upon a time. Well, this story for me is, is a once upon now. It, 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 it's a... It's a real thing, and, and add to that the identity. I mean, it's a story of brokenness, okay? It's a story of not knowing where you're going. Anybody able to identify with that? And that God, the kicker here is that God will not let you go. No, he will not. So I want us to take a look at what Naomi says to her daughters. We're going to jump right in there. We're going to skip over the beginning. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But we're going to skip over that to the point where the, you know, she she gets ready to go back to Bethlehem. You know, the, the men have passed away. They're, they're died. They, they're dead. And so she's got her two daughter-in-laws before. And this is what she says in verse 13. She's talking about having other children if she was able to have other children. And she says, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me, for it grieves me very much for your sakes. Now, now watch what she says here. That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Think about that phrase for a moment. That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You gotta, you gotta, just, just for a moment, feel the mindset at this point that that she's reached with all the loss, with all the problems in a foreign land, with everything that's going on. It's speaking, it's saying something, and as she does so, you get, you get into the mindset where you, where you where you're saying to yourself, "The hand of the Lord's against me. God's against me." That's a very low place. And I don't think it's a place that many people don't experience. 
But I'll say it, say it this way. That to set this up, let me say that first of all, to the Hebrew, you'll remember this, I've talked to this before, but when they named their children, their name was a full sentence. Okay? It wasn't just a name, it was a complete sentence. So that name that they would give their kids was, it was a destiny. It was a prayer. It was a prophecy over them. So whenever you said their names, you were describing who they were or who they would be. And, and you, you're pray, you'd be praying the name as you're saying the name, proclaiming the name every time you spoke it. You were speaking prophetically over them with that name. The name Naomi in and of itself meant pleasant, meant gracious, kind, radiating light. So that name tells me something about the parents. They named her Naomi, that she should be the bringer of pleasantness, the bringer of kindness and graciousness, the bringer of radiant lights. It was a prophecy over her. And then, then you come to her husband, whose name was Elimelech, and his name meant one who rules as king. And, and you, what you have there is the same application as far as the parents are concerned with, with Elimelech. It, it was the same deal. And, and they, they live in the land of Bethlehem. This is their land. You've got to remember, these, you, know, you don't own, really own your property. God's given it to you. You've been given a gift from God. It's your land. It's, it's that gift. Now, they'll have two boys, Malon and Chilion. Now, get this in, in light of what names mean, okay? The, they named their boys weak and sickly. Now, weak and sickly. It's a great name for some kids, huh? So, in other words, hey, sickly, get in here. You know, get a weak soft that or what? You know, you're you're saying something. It's a, it's a, so. What it shows me here, though, is important because they name the circumstances instead of their hope in God. You hear that? They're naming their circumstances. Instead of their hope in God, they never got a real name. Think about this. Mom and dad are basically saying, <laughs> our inheritance, two sick kids. That, that was the expression that takes place here. And so they'll go into the land of Moab because of the famine. They're leaving a land that God had given them. It was a land of promise. It, it, it was the land of their God, a land who, who, whose God, instead they go to a land whose God was, if you remember the name, Chemosh. Chemosh. That was, the, that was the deity, the God of the Moabites that they worshipped. And Chemosh was worshipped by human sacrifice. In other words, child sacrifice. Think about this. They're coming from Bethlehem. And they're going to Moab. They're coming from 
gift of God to this, well, okay, there's food there. But they leave the gift of God to go to a land of this demonic God and raise their kids there. So, I mean, laid out to, to, to its logical conclusion, who do the boys marry? Moabites. And think now what all that would mean. I mean, because what you have is a different worship that's brought into your house. These are Moabites who worship Chiosh, which is worship by child sacrifice. Again, I want you to understand, what I'm talking about here, this is now. This is now. Understand this. Understand something. We name our children and ourselves, no biggie, right? You name your kid and you're just looking for a name you really like, you know, so we give them a name, and basically all it is is a handle, something that sounds good, or something that reminds us of something. Yeah, I mean, it, not a problem. That's fine. It's better than, hey, you, you know, kind of thing. But what we don't see is that many are named with sentences, like, you'll never amount to nothing. Like, I wish you'd never been born. Well, like, you're a loser. Or you, you, you just like your dad. That's not nuts. You know, but you follow what I'm saying? There are, are, are those names that keep coming against us. And we learn our names. Hello? We, 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 I mean, that's a sentence, friend. You'll never amount to anything. That's a sentence. Those are names that, that, that come against us, and we learn those. We're conditioned by those. That it's like prophecy over us. Na- Naomi sums it up there in verse 13 in that one section where she says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The Lord. Now think about this second. The Lord that is known to her as El Shaddai. The name El, obviously, of course, means what? God. But then you take it a little further. The word Shad in the word means nurser. It's that of a mother who is nursing her child. He is, in other words, El Shaddai. He is the God who holds you like a baby and nurses you, protects you. She said, El Shaddai is the cause of all my problems. What, what, what is she saying, really? I mean, honestly, what is she seeing? She's saying this, he made me bitter. And she's saying, and it's a lot worse for me than it is for you to her daughter-in-laws. I'm a victim of God. That's, that's who I am. I'm a victim of God. How many know that you can't trust God like that. In fact, a lot of people say the same thing today. I've lost everything and God did it to me. There's a lot who say that. And maybe not as verbally as they do think it. What is bitterness? I'll tell you straight up what bitterness is. It's a victim mentality. 
Okay? When, when people say things like, you know, they're, they're the ones, they made it happen. It's, it's the blame game, okay? It's, 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 it's this person or it's that person. And the result is, what I want you to understand by the blame game is, is there's this, this victim mentality that, and the way you can tell if you're defining yourself as a victim is that that's how we define our lives. Well, if you had the mother I had, well, if you had the job I had, well, if you had the pastor I had, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, we, we just we continue to, to extend the blame, never own it. I've often said, and I continue to say, we can't fix something if we don't own something. We don't own it. We can't fix it. And, and so I say it from here, I mean, it, it, you know, the victim, how many know we're all victimized? Things happen to us. Things happen against us. People say things. People do things. We're all victimized. But a victim is the one who defines their life by the victimization. She, she is going, why did I ever trust him? Why did I ever trust God? It, it means, understand, to be afflicted. Anguish that becomes almost like a black mold, if you know what I'm saying. And hear me, people don't get here overnight. She didn't get there overnight. It's, it's, it's also a poverty mindset. You know, it's the idea that I, I can't have, I can never have. And, and the blame, the blame, the blame, the blame. You have a, I don't kind of thing. I can't. This is despair that continues to hang over. And notice, for those people, it spreads out of them. You can't keep it to yourself. It's always coming out of them. Have you ever noticed that? Become offensive about everything. Anytime you're talking to them, one way or another, it's going to come around to their problem, around to their situation, around what so-and-so did, around how this took place, around how you don't know what it's like, around you've never had this happen to you, woe is me, so forth and so on. Bitter is defined as a razor-sharp instrument, an arrow-piercing. And I mean, I mean, for some of you, you could probably understand the, the word as bitter cold, how that pierces through you. I, 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 I love cold, so it doesn't bother me as much. But for a lot of people, it's bitter cold. They can't, it just hurts to the bone. It, it pierces. Listen for a second. Naomi has gotten there in Moab. She reached that point after a period of 10 years in Moab, despair, depression, darkness. Again, she's been there 10 years. She just didn't get up the next, like the next morning and say, I'm, 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 I'm going to be better. No, it was a process. It took her. Her mind continued to play. She blamed, she blamed. It worked this way, so forth and so on. Ten years, and she's at this point where she's saying, the hand of God is against me. Then there comes news. Things are better in Bethlehem now. 
And listen to what Ruth says to her here in verse 16 of chapter 1. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Do you realize what she's saying? She's saying that she will reject her culture, her heritage. She is going to reject her God, Chemosh. That's a huge step. She, she will come back with Naomi. They've been gone 10 years. Ruth has made the decision to reject the rest and to stick with Naomi. They've been gone. She's been gone. Naomi's been gone 10 years. Now Naomi and Ruth are on the main street of Bethlehem. And Ruth 1.19 says this, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Is this look, I let's be real. I mean, ten years? Okay, fine. But you don't really change all that. You might look a little bit older in ten years. But you're not cha- I mean, you look the same as you people gonna recognize who you are. Is this Naomi? And, and, and they weren't sure. And listen to what I believe. Why? Because she had bitterness etched into her face at this point. I don't know if you've seen anybody who, who's walked through life that carries the bitterness of life, how it has been etched within their face. Now, watch this. Naomi will say, in verse 20, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Do you hear those words? I mean, okay, maybe I tried to dramatize them a little bit, but you don't want to read them religiously. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt with me bitterly. Yeah, no, get, get into the heart of this. This is a bitter woman. I went out full. I come back empty. And the Lord has brought me home again, empty. He has dealt with me very bitterly. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which again means bitter. <coughs> Excuse me. That, that's that's who I am. She says that, that's who I am. <coughs> Excuse me. And the truth is, the truth is, <laughs> I don't think she knows who she is. To be honest with you, at this point, she blames God. Hello. I've watched as 
those individuals who have lost a loved one, and usually a lot of times a child, and they become better. And what do they say? God took them. God took them. You can just hear it in their voice. God took them. No, God didn't take them. You've heard me say it how many times? Old age takes us, tragedies take us, sickness takes us. God saves us. Huge difference. And, and but, but again, <coughs> you can see the blame game going on with her. I mean, don't call me Naomi Pleasant. Kindness. Call me Mara. Bitter. That's who I am. She blames God. And honestly, he doesn't care. <laughs> Listen closely to me here, would you, for just a moment? I think this is a principle that we all need to understand, that if we define God like that, what you're doing is defining yourself by your circumstances. Okay? Just, just grab hold of that for a second. If you define God like that, what you're doing is you're defining yourself by your circumstances. God is God. He's not waiting to be defined by us. We define ourselves by our circumstances. Now, interestingly here, what I find interesting is that the Lord or the Holy Spirit actually records this. And after that, read through the rest of Ruth. That's the last time that Mara is mentioned. After this, it's always Naomi, Naomi, pleasant, pleasant, kindness, kindness, right? Why? Because God's saying this. I don't call you by lies. I don't depart from who I am. And you, young lady, are Naomi, whether she likes it or not. Now, most believers, let me just interject something here. Most believers look at faith as it's supposed to make something happen, right? Well, if you've got enough faith, you know, you'll move mountains, you'll do all these things. And if you have enough faith to make something happen, please listen to me on this. I want to define this for you. I've given you studies on where faith comes from, how faith operates, the fact of what faith is all about. But listen, faith is preceded by a revelation the Holy Spirit gives you. The Holy Spirit shows you. Let me explain it a little bit like this. There is a word we use called metaneo. Metaneo. We translate the word as repentance. Now, uh, the meaning of the word we have, well, we made we've made that into something totally different than what it's supposed to intend. We, you know, uh, look at the word repentance, right? Re, in other words, doing it again and again. Repents. Pen, penance, penance, re-repent, penance. You know, it's what, what we've got is, is the idea what we've turned repentance into is works to perform in order to earn. 
works to perform in order to earn. Like we've got to earn all that we're talking about here when it comes to who God is and what he's all about to receive from him or to know that salvation or grace at work or to, you know, maintain my, 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 my salvation. I don't care what you take a look at it as. But the bottom line is we miss one meaning of the word metaneo. Besides the understanding of repentance, which it does mean, understand that while its, it's, it's truest definition is light. Okay, you're in a dark room and light. As a result of the light of glory, okay? And as a result of that light, I see what I've never seen before. Grab that. Understand that. My eyes are opened, light, and I see what already is, and when I do, faith says, thank you. In other words, here I am in darkness, and there's light, and I see it. And so I walk in it. I walk to it. I walk as it. I walk with it. I see what I haven't seen before. That's where faith comes in. That's, that's what a revelation of the Holy Spirit is all about. You see what you've not seen before, and you are illuminated. It's not about how bad of a person I am. He convicts us of unbelief. But then what happens is he illuminates the darkness that we've been in, the separation from the light itself. And we begin to see what we've never seen before. Faith is seeing what I've got. Hello? Say that with me. Faith is seeing what I've got. When I'm saying I can't, I can't, I, I don't have, I, it's lies, lies, lies. You are in Christ, which means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right, let, let me stop there. Let, let me say this. Naomi moves back, right? She still has the land that they had before they left. It's never changed. It's never been given away or sold or anything like that. It's, it's, it's their land still. And, and remember, you're not going to get away from God's love. Oh, hello, somebody. <laughs> right now. Blindness is their only reality. It's all they've got is the blindness. That's the, that's the reality. And then also remember, you know, we make choices that matter, do we not? No other creature can. My, 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 my dog can, you know, I can call it choices, but it's just him being a dog. Well, let's not go there right now. But we make choices that matter. So, all these choices have been mattering, but let me just say this. It's interesting to me how he joins us in our choices. Even when we make the worst of choices, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always doing what? 
And, 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 and the fact of the matter is, he's, oh, you know, I call it his wings, I call it his conviction, I call it his whatever you want to call it, all, all the way around. It doesn't matter. Our cho- I mean, he joins us in our choices. He's there. In fact, when we're led by him, did you realize that he can change your choices and destiny without taking away your free will? That's an amazing thought. In, in, in the first verse of Isaiah, he says, I have called you. Think about that. He says, you are mine. He calls us by the name pleasant. Calls us by the name beautiful. <laughs> you remember the story of the prodigal son? And 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 I'm not worthy to be called your what? Your son. And he shuts him right down. He said, This this is my son. And and you know what happens as a result from there. So to move on and and uh, I'm gonna I'm going to finish on time. How many can say amen to that? Okay, one. And you're fired, by the way. There was, there's this character whose name is Boaz. He's referred to as their kinsman, their redeemer. In the Hebrew, it's Goel. Goel. G-O-E-L. I, I love God's time. I want to just fit in a tidbit here as far as as far as the teaching of this and, and, and figuring it into the end of this. I love God's time. I just do. And and what all this is actually in Ruth saying to us in the now. When did and and I hope you, you can read through Ruth. It's not a long book whatsoever, but and I find it interesting when it was written too, as far as the way to play. When, when, when did Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem? You ever look at that? Mm-hmm. They arrived in March or April or Passover or Resurrection Sunday. How do I know that? Because it started, like you said, at, 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 at barley harvest time. And we find that it ended 50 days later. Okay, remember that Ruth will come to Boaz and say these words, cover me. You are our Goel. You're our Redeemer. I like putting it this way along the timeline because when on Pentecost, Ruth comes to Boaz and said, you be our Goel. And in an instant, in time, he becomes Naomi and Ruth. He entered into their poverty and everything that happened and said, I am your Goel. And as a result, his wealth swallows up their poverty. He marries Ruth. She's now no longer a Moabite. She's no longer Mrs. Weak. She is now Mrs. Boaz. 
and everything else has been swallowed up. Jesus is our Redeemer. He is our Goel. He had to become us, one of us. He had to become our darkness. But at the same time, he swallows up that darkness so that where he lives is where I live. And where I live, he lives. He is our well. I'd love to take this in a couple other different directions. But I just want to come back to it tonight and say, you know what? He is who he says he is. And your name reflects his heart view. I know who I am, says God. And he says, you're pleasant. You are radiating light. I know, but I feel better. Still, you're against me. No. We define our circumstances. That's what we do. We name our circumstances. We we name them in our life and become our victim mentality. What God's saying to us tonight is He is our Redeemer. He is our kinsman, our elder brother. He is our supplier. He is our riches. He is our health. He is our strength. And where He lives, I live. Covers me. Followed up by darkness. My name no longer misses me now. My name is Mrs. Boaz. Okay, that's a picture you probably don't want in your head, but you understand what I'm saying. That's the kind of God I serve. No matter what you might be calling yourself. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for speaking into our lives. Thank you for the reality of what the Holy Spirit shows us. In the middle of that darkness, we now see what we've not seen before. And our faith says, thank you. I don't care what the darkness might try to proclaim. The light has shown me what I've not seen before, and I walk. I'm not trying to get something to do something. I'm not trying to convince or persuade. I'm realizing that my Goel is with me. Lord, I pray that you will bless them, guide them, direct them. Let your word continue to come alive within their hearts and their lives. Bless them this night, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said,